following program may contain coarse language, suggestive dialogue, and discussion of violent imagery and sexual situations. It is intended for mature listeners who can tell the difference between facts and opinions. Apparently, you can redo on this special episode of the Toonami Faithful Podcast. I am your host, Sketch, and with me, I have... Editorial writer, VLord GTZ. And... Director of Social Media, Celia Rose. And... Another editorial writer, Laser Kid, who's worried about the hedgehog dilemma. <laughs> aren't, aren't we all? Right now, I'm uh, more concerned about <coughs> my... <laughs> <laughs> debilitating health uh <laughs> i'm finding a bit of a cold here so uh sorry about that folks we've already delayed doing this episode so many times that i just didn't want to do it again so luckily i have uh very qualified people participating here to pick up the slack where i will not be talking so we will divert to them soon enough but uh this episode is about evangelion all things evangelion the final rebuild film finally came out about a month ago and obviously there are opinions about that and we wanted to talk about it and you might be thinking but sketch evangelion isn't really on toonami oh but it was for a fleeting moment both the uh, rebuild films one and two were on the adult swim toonami and believe it or not two very edited episodes of the original TV series ran on Toonami as part of Giant Robot Week. So it counts. And you also might be thinking, Sketch, a third Mecha episode in a row? To which I say, Ava are not Mecha. They're more like Ultraman, really. <laughs> so, stuff it. <laughs> and you mustn't run away. You will... <laughs> have to indulge us. <laughs> you mustn't run away from the awesomeness that is Mecca. After all, there's only so much going around these days. True, true. But Evangelion are not robots. There's no getting into the robot. Yes, there's a cockpit, but they are not robots. They're humanoids with armor. Okay, get it through your head. It's a little more complicated than that. I would say they're more like cyborgs, but, let, you know, it's whatever. But Evangelion is a legendary series that has touched all our lives. So we're going to start out by talking a little bit about our individual experiences with Evangelion. So let's start with the youngest of us, V-Lord. Oh boy. Um, so I was very much a late bloomer when it came to Evangelion because when I was like in middle school and high school, my sibling was getting into it. So... I saw bits and pieces of the TV anime through that. But my first like proper exposure to me actually sitting down and watching anything Ava was actually when the uh, rebuilds were shown on Tanami. So I ended up just really liking the first rebuild and I just kind of went through them after that. And I didn't actually watch the TV anime until after I watched uh, 3.33 and I was kind of confused by it. <laughs> um, but overall, I, I just like really like Evangelion. I think it's really good. And yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Evangelion, interestingly enough, was 
probably one of the first anime that I saw that I knew were Japanese. Like, for me, it kind of went Samurai Pizza Cats, Pokemon, watching a VHS of Evangelion. <laughs> right? Ooh. That's how you do. Uh, DBZ, I might have saw some of that in there somewhere, but it was even, I want to say it was before DBZ was on Toonami, so I didn't really, or maybe right around that time that I got uh, Cartoon Network. So I saw a couple of episodes of Evangelion on VHS when I was in junior high. And, you know, it was, it was a cool Japanese show that I watched with some friends. And then when I got into high school, I had one friend who had all the DVDs. So we, over time, watched the entire series, multiple episodes at a time. And at the time, I thought it was pretty cool, but also fairly pretentious and uh, just kind of overly weird. And by the time we got to End of Ava, I was so not interested in watching more Evangelion that my friends kind of had to force me to watch End of Ava, which was an experience. So when Shinji was screaming his brains out, I was at least on the inside. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) You poor thing. Yeah. So there was a time where... I like I liked Evangelion, and then I didn't like Evangelion for a fairly long time. I saw the rebuilds and thought I liked them better than the TV series when I saw uh, one and two, which I did see before they were on Toonami and then rewatched on Toonami. And then 3.0 came out, and I was like, I don't even know how I feel about this. <laughs> I'm not alone. Yeah, and then. We had to wait and wait and wait for the final movie, and we finally got news that we were going to get it. So, Duelist had never really seen past, like, episode 12 of the original TV series, and it had been a long, long time since I had. So I thought, this is a perfect opportunity to rewatch all of Evangelion. What an undertaking that was. (laughs) So, we watched all of the old dub. Uh, I think we got the... Uh, uh, director's cut of the the final episodes and then we watched End of Ava and then we watched all the rebuilds in a row and yeah I, I think that was it was good to do that in my opinion because there are things about those movies that don't really add up if you have no context of the TV series but you can certainly see them without but, yeah, I, I'd say my impression of Evangelion has gone from this is great to this is overrated to, yeah, this is pretty great still. <laughs> <laughs> so it's complicated, but I, I think at the end I've ended with, I think I like this. <laughs> <laughs> I certainly like things about it and respect it as a work because there's so much that could be said about Evangelion, and huh, we will only scratch the surface here, I hope. <laughs> Otherwise, we'll be here all day. So, uh, how about Celia? So, I watched Evangelion when it first aired on Adult Swim in 2005. I was only about 13, 14 years old, and I had no clue what was going on. <laughs> But I loved it. Like, it really stuck with me. So even though I didn't fully understand it, um, I just couldn't stop thinking about it. And I've loved it ever since. 
I didn't watch the rest of Evangelion though, like uh, Death and Rebirth, uh, End of Ava, until much later. Because at that time, you know, those weren't readily available. Like by 2005, you know, copies of it were getting harder to find. And then it went out of print shortly after that. So um, most of my memory with it is just with the TV series. Uh, I actually rewatched it again in 2020, like shortly after it went up on Netflix. And after studying psychology, because I'm a psychology major, this show has made a much more profound impact on me. Uh, and I appreciate it a lot more. Um, like I binged it in 48 hours when I watched it last year. I don't recommend that. <laughs> mm -hmm. This is a very heavy show. Um, but I was kind of dealing with some stuff because there was the pandemic. I had been, you know, furloughed from my job. I had to isolate from my parents because they were exposed to COVID. So there's just a lot going on. And Evangelion was something very familiar that I was like, okay, I'm going to watch this while my sister and I are isolating and, and waiting for an answer to see if my parents are going to be okay. Because that was back when we didn't know if COVID could like instantly kill you or not, you know, we didn't know as much information about it. And by the time I was done, I don't think I have ever been more in love with an animated series than Evangelion. Like it's just is cemented in my top five forever. I really love the, the human vulnerability and it's something that's always stuck with me. And then with watching the rebuilds, I actually didn't realize the rebuilds were out until after the second movie had come out because again, they were released, you know, mostly physically, there wasn't really a digital option for them at that time, at least for the first two. Um, the third one is my favorite. It's the one that everyone either doesn't get or doesn't like, but it's my favorite rebuild. And I have watched it probably the most out of all of them. Uh, and overall, like, I like the experience of the rebuilds, but the TV series is really where my heart is at. And I think it'll probably continue to be that way. Even when Evangelion kind of disappears from the landscape. Cause the reality is, is right now that Evangelion's everywhere. It's very pervasive where to a point where even if you haven't seen it, you know what it is, you know? So, but yeah, it's very special to me. It's one of my favorite shows of all time. You could practically live off of Evangelion merchandise. <laughs> you can. It's uh, it's, it's a little crazy. scary. Yeah, I forgot to touch on that. It did air on Adult Swim Action, and I remember thinking at the time when they picked it up, I just thought, "Wow, this is way late. They should have aired this way sooner." But you know, if that's when you caught it, then good on them. Good on them for playing it. Right. I actually remember the episode uh, in the TV series where they used the, the dummy plug system for Ava Unit uh, Ava Unit 1 to go berserk on, I think it was Unit 6, the one that Toji pilots. Mm -hmm. I remember that night because it was TVMA. So I was like, oh, my yeah. God, this is crazy. Um, I had to switch back and forth between that and an ice skating championship on another channel so my parents wouldn't see what I was watching. <laughs> Nice. So I would watch it go from like, you know, every unit one ripping the innards out of this, you know, this other beast to and now we have this pair skating to this classical oh piece back <laughs> back and forth. <laughs> are you are you trouble. watching ice skating or Evangelion? Both both might involve classical music. Ava right? on ice. Oh my god. I'm surprised that hasn't been a thing yet, honestly. That it's is a, a bit missed, surprising. It's a missed opportunity. Just stick some skates on them, Avas. Right? It's perfect. 
I always thought that the Ava's feet looked a lot like shoes, like and sneakers. They could just use the crap yes. out of the uh, um, Evangelion theme, you know, just dance around on ice to the uh, Cruel Angel Thesis. See, that's yeah. an instant hit. I want to see this at like the next big skating competition. I want to see someone out there in a U- Unit One costume. <laughs> Yes. Cruel Angel's thesis. Purple and green. <laughs> Do it. With the helmet. Has oh, to be with the helmet. Has to be with the helmet. Otherwise, it's just not complete. Should they also have some kind of cord attached to them? Why not? Add to the excitement of it. Yeah. Was... I'm down for it. That also sounds like a huge safety hazard. <laughs> it but It does, doesn't it? <laughs> Avon oh, Ice. Wow. We will risk our lives to entertain you. <laughs> oh wow nice very nice yes okay laser what is your evangelion story well it's kind of funny because it's almost an inverse of yours almost see when i was getting into anime in the vhs era evangelion was ubiquitous everyone knew about evangelion but i didn't see it back then i knew about it i heard about it and i specifically heard that in the ending everyone dies and i'm just like what the heck's the point of this thing then and i stubbornly refused to to ever seek it out or watch it or anything i didn't really have a chance to because i didn't know anyone that had it and i wasn't gonna go buy it if that's what i was in for her um for um for um and her um furthermore and so i just kind of stuck my nose up at it for the longest time um, until I visited a friend in uh, 2006 who had it, and he basically sat me down and was like, you're watching this. I'm like, all right, sure. And I loved the crap out of it. I spent a couple of days watching it with him, loved the crap out of it, ended up buying it, and uh, as mentioned, End of Even Gunning was out of print. This was um, 2006. I couldn't find it anywhere. I went to the trouble of tracking that movie down on eBay, and I lucked out and got a legitimate copy, and uh, that's how I saw End of Evangelion back then. And fell straight in love with the whole thing, was right there with the uh, rebuild films, um, enjoyed them. Uh, not as much on 3, although since uh, Thrice Upon a Time's come out, I've actually grown a new appreciation for 3. Uh, but I very much fell in love with it when I actually got a chance to watch it. Wait, so Laser, have you still ever seen the last two episodes of uh, no, the TV series? No, I haven't. <laughs> I, I just Laser! Didn't. I you never got the need. I'm just like, I got End of Evangelion. That's that's the ending. I'm happy. Well, no, you got yes it. and it's... no. Well, yeah. The ending of Thrice Upon a Time is so good when you know... The ending, I mean, the, like the last I know two episodes what of TV in those series. Episodes. It's not like I, I don't know. I just never bothered to watch mm-hmm. them because I didn't feel the need when it's been so thoroughly described to me well before I ever saw the series. And I'm just like, okay. But laser, it's the experience. It is uh, the experience. I don't need to see still frames and uh, animatics. And no, thank you. They're really cool still frames and animatics, though. <laughs> Uh, While being it... introspective about the human condition and uh, sense of self. Mm-hmm. Or I could just watch End of Evangelion. Or you could do both. Well, End of Evangelion is like the other side of the coin, really. And there there have been people who have come up with theories like both are happening at the same time. I've, yeah, I've heard that theory. And like I said, I, it's not that I don't recognize that it's got value. I just 
it was one of those things where it was described to me. I'm like, okay, I don't feel the need to watch that. Yeah. I but, might someday. It's it's not like a, I'll never watch but have it. Have you just, heard Spike Spencer's rent at the uh, end of uh, uh the, about where he's going to run away to? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and that is actually does a bus run iconic. through here. <laughs> As a it. bus driver, I yes. really appreciate that one. I, I I absolutely have heard that, and I adore the heck out of that. Yeah. What, what else do you do? This Evangelion has three very different endings. <laughs> Very oh my, different. Yes, that is absolutely true. And I think you should experience all three. Well, I'm yes. getting ganged up on here. Thanks for you, Lord. <laughs> I had to do it. <laughs> it's come up ha- me and Laser have had this conversation before. Yes. And right. I still can't convince him. Mm. It's mm. just I, I, okay, legitimately at this point, I, I I just don't feel like dragging up the disc to watch it. Uh, I don't know. But now it's on Netflix. I'm not yeah, watching that in Netflix stuff. I'm I'm not gonna go too deep into it, but I am not watching that. Oh, uh, see, I so like I like the ADV dub for the nostalgia because that's how I first experienced it. But I really like the Japanese cast. Like recently, since my last rewatch and also my rewatching of the rebuilds, I've stuck with the Japanese cast over the dub, especially because the dub changes so often. Like, Kawoto's been cast six times. Oh, yeah. No, you're not wrong about that. Um, I'm not too tight on most of the voice actors changing in the dub, but the, the main three are the ones I'm really stuck on, you know? Mm. Uh, I'm I in see. the minority that kind of likes the Netflix dub. Like, the script is not good. But That's, the voice direction oh no, the is voice, really good. The, the voice direction is fine, and the voice actors are fine. They're just not what I want. But there's that script, and that I that's, think. That's yeah, the script is a big problem. But other than that, I think it it does a pretty good job. So I I think the Netflix dub gets too much crap, honestly. But I mean, I'm not gonna say all the crap that it does get. If you're if you're directing that crap to Kara, okay understandable that is exactly where i throw that at absolutely Kara is absolutely who i blame and i'm just glad that that it didn't get as bad with the rebuild uh redubs and then twice my time so i'm i'm i i feel like they either listened to the feedback and changed or they changed their minds i don't care i'm happy with the rebuild redubs yeah i never forget the day that the internet dumped on dan kanemitsu all at once <laughs> yeah, I feel like the first like two rebuilds for the redub still kind of have similar problems with the very overly literal script, but I think overall it's like probably yeah. a better effort than what the Netflix dub was. In fairness, I didn't see their version of the redubs. I just saw Thrice Upon a Time, and I was like, "This is good." I'm happy. Yeah, Thrice, Thrice's dub was handled really well, in my opinion. I didn't watch the first two because I heard about the stilted dialogue. I was like, I'm just going to rewatch the Funimation ones. I did notice when they I went... did watch the 3.0, though, and I thought that was good. Yeah, yeah, 3.0 Damon was Mills surprised. is great. As good. Like, I was expecting that one to have the same problems, but, like, maybe they just fixed it all for 3.33? I, I don't know. Maybe. I noticed when they flash back to... Uh... Two in in uh, Thrice Upon a Time, where they're where you know Shinji's all going garlic on. The the speech from uh, Misato was a lot less emphatic than it was in the Funimation dub, and that that did kind of rub me the wrong way a little bit. But I still have that, so that's fine. I still have that uh, Blu-ray. I'm not going yeah. anywhere. 
I'm glad I own those still as well. Well, we've already touched a little bit on the dubbing history of Evangelion, <laughs> but the production history itself of Evangelion is certainly an interesting story. And uh, I know no one who could handle this better than Celia. So please, have at it, Celia. Absolutely. The timing of this is great, too, because I actually just did a deep dive on the production history after Thrice Upon a Time came out. So um, the production history of Ava is a very long one. Um, Pretty much that's kind of the theme with the production history is that everything takes a lot of time. So uh, Hideaki Anno is the director. He started working on Evangelion actually after taking a four-year break from working on any projects. Uh, He had previously worked on Nadia, The Secret of the Blue Water, and was working on a sequel to the film Royal Space Force Wings of Onayamis. But that sequel project fell through. Nadia didn't perform very well. And he uh, has been on record saying that he was in a depressive period for four years. And that's why he took a break. So when he came back in 1993, he wanted to work on a new series that would bring in uh, more people into anime fandom and draw in more people to uh, enjoy like otaku type of things. And so that was his goal with with Evangelion. Uh, And he really wanted the plot of this show to reflect his period of depression as well. I think it does that pretty well, not gonna lie. (laughs) Um, But... This show actually didn't come out until 1995. Like, it continually kept getting delayed and delayed. Uh, One of the things that actually did affect the production history were the sarin gas attacks uh, at the Tokyo subway station. uh, Because a cult had... uh, Shit, what was the word? I don't remember. But it was delayed by current events, by production... Uh, And eventually it did come out in 1995. But even then, Evangelion was running on a really tight time frame. And Anno didn't really know how he wanted the show to end until he had to write the last two episodes. Which is why they're so famously known for being just still shots and Ganga drawings. Because they had no time. Anno really didn't know what he wanted until it was down to the wire and he had no choice but to finish it. After that, they released a compilation movie, uh, which we now know as Death and Rebirth. uh, And it would be split into two movies where we'd get Death and Rebirth and End of Evangelion. And these are really the ideal ending that Anno wanted, that he didn't have time to achieve with the TV series. And these came out in 1997. Um, There's a lot of speculation and rumor that follow these movies. Like, for example, it's pretty famously known online that there were death threats included in some of the shots within these films um, from angry fans. But actually it turns out that's not true because they legally couldn't use fan mail. So they had staff members recreate letters and only two of them are actually hateful, (laughs) which is really interesting. I didn't know that until I was doing my research, especially because I remember that rumor being super popular when I was a younger fan and first getting into Evangelion. Um, Pretty much after that, though, there was a big break between Evangelion releases, um, but it took off in Japan like crazy. It was everywhere. Lots of things were merchandised with it. So even though the show and the movies hadn't continued on, you could get all kinds of stuff that was themed after the characters, um, from toys to clothes to daily household items. Uh, At some point, it was time to revisit this show 
again. The first rebuild of Evangelion movie began production in 2002, uh, but it also kept continued, uh, not kept continued, it also continued to be delayed because Anna was working on other projects like uh, the Cutie Honey OVA and some other movies that he was working on. And then finally, Rebuild 1 came out in 2007. The second one came out in 2009. The third one was supposed to be released in 2008 with the second one, but didn't come out until fall of 2012. Uh, and then in 2012, the they announced that the final Rebuild film was going to be delayed until 2013. And that continued to be delayed for nine years. In that time, uh, Anna was working on films like Shin Godzilla um, and some other projects as well. But if you watch the NHK documentary about Anno creating uh, Evangelion Thrice Upon a Time, which is the final film, he admits that it was hard for him to come back to it. Because every time he works on Ava, he puts so much of himself into it that it is physically, emotionally, and mentally exhausting. And actually, in some of the clips from the second episode of that documentary, it's on Amazon Prime, there's even some conversation between him and his mentor, Hayao Miyazaki, where he's like, it's okay, you don't have to work on it. Like, you can just abandon it. Like, it's fine. You don't have to put yourself through this. Um, but eventually, production resumed in 2018, and then the movie finally came out in Japanese cinemas in March of 2021 and was released for international audiences in August of the same year. So it's taken us a really, really long time to finally get the conclusion to this series of films. That it has. <laughs> yeah. Being a long-suffering Evangelion fan is fun. Right? <laughs> I mean, well, imagine def- how Anno feels. He's been working God, on this this whole man. time. Yeah. <laughs> that I remember a point when I was like, "Do I even care if the last one ever comes out?" <laughs> but now that it has come out, I say yes. I'm very glad that it did. Amen. I, I like. I like that he finished. Yes, I agree. And it was worth the wait. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that as well. And if you watch that documentary that I mentioned, they actually do show you behind the scenes of the production process. Like a lot of this movie was made using motion capture. That's how they would plot out the scenes and see how they would work using mocap and 3D modeling. And then once they finalized how they wanted to look, then they would go and animate it and make the final product. Which I thought was really neat because I don't think I've seen anime being produced that way at least for regular like 2d animation um and it also explains why you get some really neat effects in certain parts of thrice upon a time because they already have the motion capture set where where they can rig it the way they need to for the 3d animation yeah and that would explain why the animation has logic to it because they were moving actual objects in order to base this off of which a lot yeah. of animation does not bother with. <laughs> yeah. 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 But yeah, really with Evangelion, the rebuild films, uh, these are Anno coming back to it and making a version of Evangelion without budgetary or technological hindrances. So the version of Evangelion you see in the rebuilds is what Anno probably would have wanted to do. 
but couldn't have back in 1995 when he was working on the TV series, which is kind of what makes them cool is it's him going back and making changes to his own vision and doing things the way he wants to now as a creative. And I think that's one of the things that makes Evangelion so special is you constantly see that process of him going back to it. And it's reflected in the production history of this entire franchise. Well, let's go ahead and get into the uh, general plot details of the Rebuild series and uh, how it all ends. And with that, I turn to Laser Kid. Yeah, so Evangelion, the story is ultimately the story of a really, really terrible dad and a lot of other people dealing with the consequences of that, but I don't even know where to begin with this, but ultimately the story is dealing with an an invasion of angels. They're not angels like you think of in like a Judeo-Christian sense. They're aliens, essentially, sort of, kind of. It's weird. Uh, And the only way to stop them is with these... We're not going to call them robots, but they're giant... Things you can get in and artificial fight. humanoids. I mean, they're they're reverse engineered angels, so you know they're biological something or others uh, called Evangelians. But not just anyone can pilot an Evangelion. You have to have a synchronization with the Evangelion to even be able to use the thing. Otherwise, eh, you get less than ideal results. Yeah. They, they, they uh, tend to go berserk and attack things. I wonder why. Um, <laughs> and sometimes they just absorb you. And sometimes they just absorb you. Yes. Yeah. Sometimes you just cease to exist. Uh, and that's actually kind of the inciting incident to everything is uh, the guy, one of the guys behind this whole project, uh, Gendo Akari, worst dad, can't change my mind. Uh Basically, his wife was in Ava Unit 1, and actually, and she just kind of uh, disappeared into the thing. Yeah. And, and there was a big explosion. Oh, yes. Just, it destroyed a sizable chunk of the Earth. And that is, I believe, the uh, second impact? Or was that before that? I... Um, yes, I believe in the TV series, it was the second impact because they were preparing for the third for human instrumentality. Yep. Yep. And that causes all kinds of problems. And that's when the angels start showing up. Well, anyway, their son, Shinji Ikari, is basically tasked with piloting this thing. And he has not seen his dad in quite a long time. And he's like, why did you call me here? You hate me, don't you? I need you to pilot the robot. Hence the common internet joke. And she's like, I don't wanna. Just get in the robot. Okay, I just did the joke. Dang it, I didn't even mean to. Uh, but yeah, eventually Shinji gets in the robot primarily because he's like, okay, if you want to do it, here. Here's the sick girl who's beaten up and destroyed from her fight. She'll just do it. AKA, it's called a guilt trip. And... Ultimately, that's what gets Shinji to do stuff through a good chunk of the series as he gets guilted into it. And, you know, fighting these, ro- these robots, aliens, angels, 
things. Just call them angels. Yeah, I'm just going to call them <laughs> angels. Uh, they, 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 there's essentially for a while it kind of falls into monster of the week territory for a little bit, but there's yes. lots of, you know, little things here, little things there. Uh, but as it eventually turns out, the plan from a organization that controls the organization gun is in charge of nerve, the overall organization being Sele, their plan is human instrumentality. What if we got rid of individuals and we all became hive mind? One giant being with one mind, and there's no separation from each other. Hmm. There'll be no pain. There'll be no pain and suffering. Everyone will be together. We'll start singing Kumbaya. It's going to be great. There there could be nothing bad could possibly come from this. Not at all. <laughs> what nothing could possibly bad. go wrong? Nothing could go bad. This is the best plan. Uh, but what, what I, one of the things I do really like about this is there are dueling groups here. And they're pretty much none of them are good, but they're all trying to do different things. Is initially, Gendao and his wife were like, "This is screwed up. We're gonna fight you." Well, after Gendao loses his wife, screw that. I'm gonna make it happen so I can get you back. Screw anything else in the process, but I'm gonna get you back. And mm -hmm. of course, that leads him to do terrible things to his son. God, there's stuff with uh, they have one of the angels in their base, and that's why the angels are attacking them and. You know, if you merge with it, you're going to create human instrumentality and all kinds of just backstabbing and plotting. And I'm just running past a lot. There's so much here. So, Basically, so much the danger that Nerve is trying to prevent is if any of the angels came in contact with Lilith, who they have down in their basements in Central Dogma, it's going to cause another impact and probably destroy the whole world. Third impact. And yet they're so surprised when any of the angels show up. They're like, oh, another angel! Powder and and it's coming for HQ! It's like, I wonder why. Guys. wonder why they're <laughs> yes. here! Well, the reason they're getting all surprised is the people who are getting surprised aren't in the loop. True. An interesting thing that they changed is uh, in the TV series... Misato and Shinji do not find out about Lilith until really late in oh, the story. Yeah. But yes. in the rebuild, they find uh, Misato already knows, and Shinji finds out in the first film. And she's like, look, I know that you're going through a lot when you pilot the Ava, but everybody else is going to die if you don't do it. Because if any of these angels touches Lilith, we're all screwed. So again, the guilt trip. So Shinji's yeah. constantly fighting between... Shinji's the kind of guy who doesn't want to... Well, he doesn't instigate things of his own will most of the time. He just goes with the flow and thinks it's best to follow whatever orders he's given. So does Ray, but to a way more definite state of, oh, these are my orders, so I'm going to follow them. But Shinji, he just wants to make people like him, and he thinks the only way to do that is to follow orders, do a good job, save everybody, and then people will praise him for piloting the Ava, and that's kind of his reason for continuing to go back to it. But uh, particularly in the TV series, there are so many times when he does not want to pilot the Ava anymore, and it always frustrates me because the adults in his life are constantly hitting him with, well, if you don't want to pilot the Ava, then don't pilot the Ava. Oh, but you should still pilot the Ava. Yeah, he, uh, one of the things that really just really hurts emotionally, really well written, and this isn't a complaint, 
But one of the things that really hits is, man, if he had better support, a lot of these things wouldn't be as bad as they are. But his emotional support is kind of terrible. Masada being like the best thing he's got going for him, and she's, you know, got her own issues. Yeah. Well, the re- it's the reality of the responsibility, though. Like, oh, even yeah. though you have people telling him, you can back out, you can back out, there's no one who can pilot Unit 1 at the same sync rate as him. Nope. And there's no one who can do what he can do. You know, and Shinji, I used to really dislike him because he cried all the time. <laughs> and I was like, what's wrong with you? But Shinji just needs someone who will love him unconditionally. And oh, that's yeah. something that you see throughout all of Evangelion, he does not have someone who will love him for who he is without expecting something in return. And that's one of the things that Shinji struggles with is he knows that people are only interested in what he's doing or care about him because they need something from him to a certain degree. It's something that I've always struggled with whenever I try and talk to someone about Evangelion. If you've never been like ostracized from most, if not all people, it's really hard to understand Shinji. I had a pretty mm-hmm. rough growing up emotionally. Physically fine, but emotionally growing up, I never had problems understanding Shinji. I knew exactly where he's coming from. It's it's a rough time, rough place. It, it, it You either understand Shinji or you don't, and it really just comes down to, have you been that isolated? Right, and people forget all the time, he is a child. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's yeah. 14. He's an absolute child. He's and... a child. And he's that's responding about, you know, in such a normal treated. way. You know, he's a child like, yes, he, he's the only one that can do this thing. I understand why they're, they need him, but they need to remember they're dealing with a child when they're doing this. And they're they're not really keeping that in mind. But that's I, this is not a complaint about the show, though, because that's what makes it compelling. Yes, you know, I completely agree. When he actually agree. does like throw a tantrum for the first time, they're like, boost the LCL level until he passes out. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> He'll be fine. We don't need. We don't need to worry about his emotional well-being or anything. It's fine. Don't you wish you could do that to your mouthy teenager? Oh, just <laughs> shut up. Shut up. Just take all the Have LCL, and, pass LCL out. and shut up. Take a nap for a little bit. Like you're on timeout, Mister. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, the TV series is is great. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, I, I have to agree with what you were mentioning earlier. I do like the rebuild films, especially this last one, but my heart is definitely in the TV show. Mm-hmm. Um, And there's a lot of information that's not in the rebuilds, and that's one of the major differences is that information about Shinji's mom. You've got to watch the show and End of Evangelion to really understand that because yeah. it's, it's very, very lightly hinted at in Thrice Upon a Time. And if you don't yes. know what, what they're hinting at, you will have no idea. Yeah. It's uh, definitely not explicit like it is in the TV series. And they don't really talk about the Magi system. Oh, God. They don't talk about the whole... Something that Ritsuko's mother came up with. Gendo uh, cheating on his wife with yeah, Ritsuko's mom. Gendo, and then with Ritsuko because... Okay. Gendo gets around more than, like, the quote-unquote playboy character, Kaiji. Kaji. <laughs> I love Kaji. Kaji is, is a character I've, I've come to term Captain Awesome. He's a pretty cool guy. Yeah, well, and that's what makes Gendo's obsession over Yui really kind of sinister. Well, not kind of, it is sinister. Because even though at the beginning we see, you know, this, what we perceive as a man who's grieving over the loss of his wife and is so caught up in trying to be reunited with her, once you learn more about who he was as a person, it becomes less about infatuation and love for Yui 
and more about control of Yui. Mm -hmm. And that's something that the TV series goes into when you learn about how they met. You know, she was his senior. He even went so far to take her last name instead of um, having her take his when they got married. And really wanted access to everything that she had access to through her family, through her research. So bringing Yui back and being reunited with her, while I think there's an element of love to it, because I do think at some point he truly loved that woman enough to marry her and start a family with her. But his obsession, I think it says more about his, his need to control than actually caring about her as a person. He's, oh, yeah, and that's one of the things actually that I didn't really like about Gendo and the rebuilds, especially if for the conclusion, uh, which we'll get to when we talk more about. The yeah, in, they in do a lot of, of mitigation in the rebuild. End of Evangelion. Gendo gets what he deserves. Amen. <laughs> Amen. That's one of the best things about that movie is, is seeing Gendo get everybody exactly else is what he experiencing. Needs human instrumentality and Gendo either has a very difficult passage into it or is barred from it entirely, depending Shop. on how you do interpret it. It's beautiful. It is. It is. Yep. It's like, Yui, we're finally reunited. Uh, nope. Nope. Screw you. I saw all the shit you did. Go away. Yeah. That's, uh, so, but there's another part of me that honestly likes to see the redemption of Gendo. No matter how awful he is. Honestly, do kind of like what they do with the rebuild with him. If only because it makes him more three-dimensional. He's not yeah. just comically horrible. Uh, yeah. And it also makes his horribleness more human because there's that part of him that that isn't. Because that's how people are. No one's all it, one thing. Yeah. It by no means, you know, oh, forgives him of his mistakes. No. But it gives him that moment where he's like, you know what? Maybe I didn't do what I should have. Maybe I should have had a relationship with my son. Maybe I'm a terrible person for doing all of this stuff. You know. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's kind of the thing for me because it's like it's not like it's just absolving of like, oh, you were a good guy after all, Gendo. But no. it's like him acknowledging that he's kind of been an awful father and an awful person. I did like the early rebuild films doing the maybe I should try and do something with my son. No, never mind, screw it. But it's 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 that little bit there. It's like, okay, he's just human enough to realize he screwed up. Small attempt to no, never mind. I love it. Yeah, that whole uh, attempt to have a dinner thing with uh, Ray that Ray instigated that that was an interesting choice. <laughs> Same I kind quite, of I quite like that though because <laughs> it was one of those things about like showing someone who unconditionally cared for Shinji, even though Ray was completely oblivious to the awkwardness between Gendo and Shinji. She's like, "I'm going to orchestrate this dinner so they can have some time together, so they can start healing," which is very, very sweet, um, and which makes it very sad when when that iteration of Ray disappears, you know. Yeah. Uh, and it's a character trait about her and really a characterization of her that is absent in the TV series. Oh, yeah. uh, and really in the TV series also, I remember reading an interview from Ano. I can't remember what magazine, but it was an interview published in, I think, 1996. He wasn't really sure what he wanted to do with Ray, which is why her character is pretty flat. You know, where hmm. he wasn't certain what his aim was for her. 
And there's actually a point like midway through the series where she doesn't show up as often and where he had kind of forgotten that he needed to decide what she was going to (laughs) do. So then he kills her. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) I actually definitely feel like uh, Ray is much better in the rebuilds. Um, I also just, Mm. I got to spend a moment to, to, to just marvel at the ending of two where Shinji actually, you know, does something and saves her effectively. Like, yeah, kind of question mark. The other, the, the other movies kind of, um, you know, take that down a little bit. But you get this. Hey, we're not stuck in the same path as the show, of course. And then it goes way off from there. But you know, it's really interesting to see. Yeah, mm-hmm. it wouldn't be that interesting to just relive the same thing but make it look prettier. Yeah, although we are missing one very crucial element from the TV show in the rebuilds, and I have to say it, the DDR battle. Without that DDR battle, I don't know. Oh, man, that Uh, is unfortunate. (laughs) That's one of the best episodes. It really is. I'm I'm kidding, but I'm not, because I love that episode. Having them learn how to work together and sync together. Also, the hilariousness of... uh, they ask Ray to sync up with Shinji one time and she's already doing it perfectly. And Asuka just can't stand that. (laughs) Ah, that's fantastic. It's not real realistic, but it's fantastic. That's the other great thing about the show is the character interactions. Because the way they all react to each other and interact changes over time. Um, Yes. And especially even when you get to the secondary cast, the the high school students, that Mm -hmm. really gets interesting. Um, Yeah. And that's something I actually really like about the the last film is we actually explore that again meaningfully. Yeah, uh, even though the rebuilds kind of eliminates an element that involves the high school students well, by not having yeah. by not having Toji be the pilot of the Ava that goes berserk. That, yeah, but I think what they do in the end there is actually way more interesting. Yeah, like having oscar in the ava that goes berserk partially because she is at a point where she doesn't even think she could pilot an ava at the time makes more sense i would say and it 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 plays out uh smoother because in the tv series it's kind of like oh it turns out anybody in shinji's class could be a pilot okay sure it it works and it's poignant and of course it's devastating to shinji to have to almost kill his friend but i think it works plenty well as oscar being that pilot instead and it you know it it definitely um uh it it all just makes it move a lot faster but again you really have to watch the tv series because there's so many things that the films either gloss over or leave out entirely that uh definitely enhance the experience of the story yeah, it's yes. true. It's like a second run through like a a time loop. I, I know that's kind of a more fan theory, although I still feel like it's pretty heavily hinted and directed, especially by the last film. But you Could have be. multiple loops that connect to each other, and there's a lot of good evidence for it. And a lot of stuff explained in the show, the, the movies don't. And I think mm-hmm. that's why is it's 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 all one big story. Yeah. And there's which some... is uh, which is really interesting because these movies are marketed for people who aren't familiar with Evangelion <laughs> to watch it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, like that was really the main purpose of these movies being produced was to 
bring in a new audience that hadn't seen the TV series or that found the TV series to be too much to get into, especially when by that point you had all these people online who were cataloging and breaking down the lore of Evangelion, you know, and even Anno himself spent a lot of time building the lore just across multiple installments in this franchise, you know, via other forms of media, like the games, books, manga, all that kind of stuff that when you started at that point, it's kind of overwhelming, but with the rebuild films, you could at least go in and be like, okay, what's in these movies is probably going to be like, not the definitive version, but an easier to digest version of it. Yet Mm -hmm. you still have to see the TV series for some parts, even in the early rebuilds to have the impact they do. I Mm -hmm. feel like the rebuilds are still a decent quote unquote starting point because you'll be missing things. But it's a streamlined experience, but it's not a replacement. That That's, I think, was the big deal there is you mm-hmm. still want to go to the show after and get right. that context. Because yeah. if you only watch the rebuilds, sure, you get Shinji's story, you get Ray's story, you arguably get a better story for Ray. You're going to miss Asuka's you, entirely. Yeah, you, yeah. You, don't, you don't get Asuka's story, you don't get Misato's original story, you don't get... And really anything about Ritsuko and her whole deal, which is very complicated. Yes. So, so even though I feel like there are various episodes of the TV series that just kind of spin its wheels, I think you really should watch the whole thing. Including the last two episodes, Laser. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, like when I watched like the rebuilds initially without watching the show, I, I definitely kind of felt that way where like the only characters I really felt like, I guess, attached to were Shinji and, like, Rei. And it wasn't until I went and actually watched the show proper that I realized, oh, hey, there's far more interesting things going on here. And, like, Mm -hmm. even in those early rebuilds, like, yeah, they're clearly still having nods towards existing fans, even though, like, there are those attempts to get new fans in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, uh, I've I've seen people describe this as if you're a Ray fan, the rebuilds will be good to you. If you're an Oscar fan, no, <laughs> the rebuilds are are no good for Oscar fans. And Though I do think there fair. are some great moments for Oscar Shikinami, but they just don't compare to her arc in the TV series and end of Ava. No. I'll have to agree well, with that. Well, and it's a, and she's a completely different Oscar. Like, yeah, she's not even mm-hmm. the same as the TV series and, you know, the end of Evangelion Asuka. Yeah. You know, it's going so much to even change her name to define her as a different character from the TV series version. we are missing a very key component here. We have a whole new pilot in the rebuilds. We do. Oh, Mari, Mari, Mari. (laughs) Mari Makinami Illustrious. And I I gotta say... uh, The nice girl... With the big boobs. I mean, how she introduces wrong. herself all the time. And honestly, I I, I kind of like her a lot. Um, that's one of the best things about the rebuilds is is she adds a lot to them the way she interacts with everybody. She actually treats Shinji like a human being. Yes, and that may that that makes my long-standing Shinji, my brother. I feel where you're at. To go, oh, he found a friend. That's not going to make him kill him. Though she does refer to him as Doggy, which is... Yeah, there's that. <laughs> no, but it's because she talks with a cutesy cat 
affect. Yeah, yeah. it version. doesn't come off as an It doesn't make sense in English. Deprecation. And it comes off as, as yeah. playful. Ah. Yeah, it doesn't make sense in English, but in the Japanese version, like Maya Sakamoto, like will say words and add nyan, which is like a cat meow sound, ah. to it while she's talking. So she's the cat, he's the puppy. Ah, I get it. And she also has this whole interesting relationship with Asuka going on. <laughs> yeah, there is that too. <laughs> she's, she's just a touchy girl. Apparently, she is but very touchy for she's, sure. She's fun to watch, and honestly, one of the best parts—not the best part of two, but one of the best parts of two. Um, very so much a part of four. It's heavily implied that not only Ray but also Asuka are clones. Is yes. Mari also a clone? Because we see someone who looks like her back when Gendo was in college. Do you want the real answer to that? Is it really just the same person? Yes. Interesting. Yes, huh. it's the curse of the Evangelion. It's actually why after the 16-year gap between 2.0 and 3.0, Asuka still looks the same. Even though 16 years have passed, right. same with Shinji. People who pilot Evangelions are cursed to look like the age that they were when they started piloting forever. And since Asuka's so obsessed with being seen as an adult, that's got to really hurt her ego. Oh, yeah. Right. Although in the, in the rebuild, I don't see that much of that aspect of Asuka. Yeah. probably works out for the better. Because <laughs> she would be a very, very bitter woman who really wanted to be a grown-up uh, and continued to look like a 14-year-old for the rest of her life, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, the first film is more or less like retelling of various parts of the first six episodes or so. The second film deviates a bit and also adds some new material, like when they see the, the blue ocean and Kaji talks to them about... Uh, the second impact yeah. causing the blood to... Or not blood, but the oceans to go red, which is something yeah, yeah. you see in End of Evangelion. Right, right. And at the end of the second one, Shinji tries to save Rei and causes a partial third impact. So in the third movie, we get the aftermath of that, which is occurring, you say, 16 years after that event happens, when yes. Shinji finally wakes up. And this is where things get certainly very interesting. Where... Uh, Various people that used to work for Nerve have now defected, and they are trying to take down Nerve uh, as Villa. That's with a W, but it's pronounced that way. And they pilot a ship called the Vunda, which at its core has Evo uh, Zero One. So uh, Shinji wakes up, and they don't trust him because he caused a near-third impact. So they stick a choker on him to make sure that he doesn't pilot an Ava. And after all of this time where everybody's like, you have to pilot the Ava, they're like, the last thing you should do is pilot an Ava, which is right? probably a bit of a change for him. Unfortunately, what does Shinji want to do now? Pilot, pilot an Ava. <laughs> yeah. Although so I can't gets, blame uh, him because he's getting treated like absolute shit. Yeah. Well, I, not just that, but like... He doesn't know any the context to it. Everyone nope, else no. does. He has no clue. And they don't bother to inform him in the slightest. No, nope. they don't. This is, it isn't oh, until one of my problems with this film. He meets Karu that he finally 
sees the aftermath of what he did 16 years ago and suddenly understands, oh, that's why they don't want me to pilot. Yeah. But he does it anyway. Yeah. Well, he does the frustrating part of the film, though, because it takes, like, half of the film for us to actually know, like, why he can't pilot the Ava? Yeah, a lot of my problems with 3 are fixed by Thrice Upon a Time because it actually fills in a lot of details that yeah. should have been in you 3. Have a, you have a better grasp of what Misato has been going through. You have a better grasp of what Asuka has been going through. So, in turn, it's it's very much the prequel to the last movie as opposed to a sequel to uh 2.0 yeah yeah 3.0 is is the really supposed to be considered the first part for thrice upon a time it's a two-part experience mm-hmm. that was very very far apart <laughs> yeah right super far apart but even though like it's structured that way on purpose though so, like if you look at the japanese title for rebuild 3.0 the Ooh. um the japanese title of it is q Right. Instead of you cannot redo. Yeah, it's quickening. And right? yeah. So the reasoning for that is because it's styled after uh, the acts of uh, traditional Japanese theater. So it's, the concept is called Jōhaku, and it's in three parts. So Q, which is the third part, is why it was, was given that title. But then it ended up being split into two movies. Mm. So if you consider it all as part one and a part two, then it fits into that third structure, that three-part structure a little bit more cleanly, and that's why it has that title. Oh, yeah, that makes it's sense. Just... And like I said, theme, Thrice Upon a Time, my problems with three go away, but without Thrice Upon a Time, three just baffled the heck out of me, and I'm just like, why are you doing... Why are these characters behaving this way? Why isn't anyone talking to them? Why are, is everyone making really dumb decisions? Why? And now I know. Oh, I have to see. I love that about three because i feel like if we knew like if you went with dramatic irony where we know but shinji doesn't i don't feel like it would have as much impact i that's fair i think that it can be detrimental because like for example when you go into thrice upon a time and you're suddenly hit by all these new models of evangelion that have popped up over the past 16 years and you're like whoa 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 where are we getting the three four a and the four four c and blah 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 like all this stuff kind of seems to come out of nowhere um i do feel like that it works for impact i see what you're saying um the problem that i had was I'm not just a fan of Shinji. I'm also a fan of Masato and of Asuka and all these other characters. And they were behaving rather strangely. And without knowing what was going on, I'm like, oh, yay, character assassination. Thank you, Evangelion. <laughs> mm, yeah. And I, I would say at the very least regarding Masato that you get a better arc for her than you do finishing with End of Ava. Yeah, I completely agree. Really a downer. (laughs) Yeah. Really a downer. Yeah, but the other thing, I guess, this is probably my bias coming through. I've always loved Kawaru. Like, I remember when I first watched the TV show, and he only shows up for one episode, and then he Mm -hmm. dies in the same one. I was so sad. You know, I was like, no, I really like this character. I really like the dynamic between him and Shinji. You know, and even though, like, a lot of people are like, oh, it's just the Fujoshis, you know, they they like it for the boys love aspect. 
I don't see that at all with Kawaru and Shinji in terms of like a romantic love. And 3.0 gave an opportunity for that to be made especially clear. That like Kawaru is finally someone who will unconditionally love Shinji without making some sort of demand that he reciprocate it. And oh, it gets yeah. Shinji to open up and it actually gives him strength, which is why I love 3.0. And it's so devastating when he loses Kawaru at the end of 3.02. Those yeah. were the best parts of 3.0. I'm not going to disagree with you on there at all. And I've always loved that character also. So absolutely, that's the best part of 3.0. Yeah. It's it also interesting to see Shinji kind of losing his mind over how Ray was acting weird because he didn't understand what the deal is with that. He's like, why, why aren't you reading the books? What do you, where'd she go? What, what's going on? Right? That is really sad and hits home. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, as the audience already knows, that's not the Ray who he saved. Yes. So that's... But it's yeah, hard to swallow. I don't, I don't know how that went in the dub, because I didn't watch the rebuild dubs, uh, but in the Japanese version, Meguma Hayashibara, like, she does a really good job of differentiating between the two. Like, when you go from original Ray to Mark IX Ray, the, her acting style changes completely. So even though at first you're not certain if it's the same one, just by hearing her voice, you're like, oh, this isn't right. Mm. You know? Yeah, I'm not entirely sure because I didn't watch the first two uh, redubs. And it's obviously a different actress in the original Funimation ones, which I liked Brina Palencia's take on Ray. Uh, so this is Amanda with Lee again. But I would say it did differ from her tv series ray so yeah i'd say the overall intonation was slightly different with like the second ray in 3.0 so yeah. i think they were trying to do what hayashibara did in and the especially well. in uh in thrice upon a time you could you could tell the difference in that performance oh yeah definitely so yeah yeah i think so but yeah if if you're a Kaoru fan then this is this is the movie <laughs> oh yes yes you don't you don't get Shinji and Asuka syncing up together, but you do get this wonderful learning how to play piano together and then piloting an Ava together. So, so your choice, it, dance, dance revolution or piano? Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, that piano scene is so good. It is. It really is. Mm -hmm. I'm joking, but legitimately that scene is wonderful. Yeah, it's really good. And of course, we have Gendo being like, Shinji, you have to pilot the Ava. But everybody else is saying not to. Yes, but you have to pilot the Ava. Yeah, You're going to pilot it with him. Everyone else what? said not to, but I'm saying to do it. And uh, you do what I'm I say. Father. Yeah, so do it. Okay, good enough for me. Kawaru yeah. well, encourages him to do it with him just so they can retrieve the beers. Yeah, but things Shinji don't go as he thought they would. Shinji, <laughs> ultimately, Shinji is like, it. once he realizes what he's done, he's like, I can do this to fix it. He wants to fix it until yes. he realizes he can't. Mm -hmm. Yes, and he realizes too late that it wasn't the thing that could undo everything he's done. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, 3.0 is so tragic. I love 
that's I think that's why I like it so much. It's just so sad. It's such a bleak movie. And even when you go from you know rebuilds one and two, the colors change. Everything isn't so like so bright and saturated. Everything's really gray and dull. You know because there's so much uncertainty, not just for Shinji but for the audience. And there's so much sadness. It's like whoa. And yeah, oh, it's so good. I love three point I love pain. Apparently. Apparently. So, with all that pain, you got to figure that Shinji's gone through a lot, and he needs some time to process it. And boy, howdy! Oh man, does thrice upon a time let Shinji process? I I spend a good first... hour on yeah. letting Shinji work through his stuff slowly. That whole the opening segment of of thrice upon a time is almost like a Studio Ghibli movie of just hey, here's life. But I love mm-hmm. it because we get to see it's slowing down from the rapid pace of every other rebuild film and, you know, giving, flushing out the world, giving us what's going on, seeing how characters yeah, are it's, doing. It's my favorite part of that movie. I agree. Uh, yeah, I same really here. It. I love that so much. I legitimately cried watching that part. Yeah, it's really good. And so, like, before Thrice Upon a Time came to Amazon, uh, I had friends in Japan who saw it in the theater and so I was like, tell me, I need to know what's in this movie. Because <laughs> we didn't know yet when it was going to go, you know, for an international release. And when they told me about the countryside scenes and like Ray learning from all the like all the grannies and stuff, I'm like, what movie is this? Like just hearing it out of context, I wasn't so sure if I was going to like it. But it's actually very touching. Like Ray's journey to learn what it means to be a human being is very sweet. And then when you lose her <laughs> later in the film, it becomes that much more heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yet interestingly, at that point, Shinji's grieved so long for Kaoru that when it happens, he's like, okay, I understand what I need to do now. Yeah. yeah. I it's love too, to how everyone comes back. Like, yes. Toji played such a small role in the earlier rebuilds. I thought, okay, he's gone. Like, you know, we're just going to deal with the main three and probably Mari because they aren't going to just abandon her after introducing her for two movies. But seeing Toji come back, Hikari, Kensuke, you know, it was really neat seeing everyone grown up. And I think that's a particularly unique experience if you started with Evangelion when you were young. Mm-hmm. And then by the time you get to the movies, you are also an adult like these characters. Yes, I would agree. Absolutely. So just seeing them and seeing what they've been up to and how they're helping the community is like, oh, this is so nice. This right? is so nice. I like this. I love the way Toji talks as an adult. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. He sounds like, oh. I just love that how he still like he still sounds like his old self, but he definitely has that like friendly old man type of vibe to his speech in the Japanese version you know and then like when he gets drunk in his home and he's singing and stuff I'm like oh my goodness like he's this is someone that you may that an audience member may know and that's Mm -hmm. what's so cool it's interesting the relationship that we obviously don't know that much about regarding Kinsuke and Asuka but they, they they seem to have a certain bond Oh, they're totally a thing. She calls him Ken Ken. Yeah. Yeah. It's there's a lot of subtext there that but there's so much with it. it yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
But I don't know if it's so much romantic as she kind of sees him like fatherly a little or an older brother. I don't know. I don't know. She doesn't give anyone else nicknames ever. That's true. That's true. So the fact that she calls well, him Ken Ken, I'm like, someone else a well, nickname. okay, fine. Baka Shinji does not count or stupid Shinji does not count as an affectionate nickname or brat Shinji, <laughs> you know, but like, yeah, the fact she calls him Ken Ken. I'm like, okay, yeah. you two are likely an item. I've never heard her use a cutesy nickname for anyone before. Wasn't expecting that one. That's for sure. Nah. Right. That came out of left field, but it's neat. I mean, it makes sense. Also, yeah. if you think about it, you know, he's helped really helped her through the past 16 years mm-hmm. in a post-apocalyptic world. You know, even Toji and Hikari got married because they survived near third together. Mm-hmm. But if near third had happened, would they have gotten together and gotten married and started a family? Mm-hmm. Who knows? You know? Yeah. Who knows? And it's just nice to see this small piece of society just trying to live normally in this post-apocalyptic world. Yeah. Oh yeah. And we also get the trip down to that other area where we meet the son of Misato and Kaji. Oh god, that 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 hit me. Yes. Hard. I love Kaji so much and it makes me so happy to find out that A, he went out like a boss and B, he and Misato did manage to get a kid. That's awesome. I just had to wonder, I'm like, when did you guys have time? <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, like, that was the first thing I thought after I finished this movie. I'm like, excuse me, you guys were quite busy just leading up to near third where you weren't even seeing each other and weren't even in the same country. How? I want to know <laughs> at well, what you know, point in the story, you know, nine months, you know, they could have happened before towards the end before they were apart. Well, their son is 14. So we know at least it took a long time for them to stop near third, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and we, we already know that she was pregnant by the time Kaji helped stop it. But yeah, that's mostly my thing. I was like, wait a second. You guys were busy doing other things. <laughs> when mm. They found the time. <laughs> the, t- the, the time was found. It was a, it was an urgent matter. Clearly they found the time. Um, but yeah. Kazi. I mean, what what do you do on your off times when you're trying to deal with the apocalypse? I don't know. Cry in a corner, maybe? <laughs> there are more useful uses of that time, I guess. <laughs> you know, you could, <laughs> there, there, you could always cry in a corner and, you know. Yeah. That's true. Cry in a corner and cuddle Kaji. Yeah, see? It works. It right? Works. Mm-hmm. It works. It does, I suppose. <laughs> uh, yeah. Hmm. So after the grieving period, and boy, Shinji is like practically comatose. But the one thing that he reacts to is the choker because he witnessed Karu go boom. When he even sees somebody else wearing the choker, he just vomits uncontrollably, which I guess is an understandable response. Yeah. I really appreciate the way that his trauma responses are portrayed in this movie. Like, it takes a long time for him to finally accept things are the way they are. And I have to accept my responsibility to either make things right or to keep on living. 
Because the reality is, is that you don't just get over something like that so quickly, especially for a person who's experienced, you know, lack of attachment and estranged parent, you know, all kinds of traumatic events his entire life, you know? Mm -hmm. So for him to go just unresponsive, except for when he's triggered by the choker, like that felt real. And oh, that yeah. truly is Anno's gift is portraying the, the real, like the realness and the vulnerability of humanity. And it comes through, especially in thrice upon a time with Shinji. I definitely agree with that. And just, I love how he slowly pieces himself back together. And it really basically happens on his own terms. And I also love how the characters are just like, yeah, you do, do what you need to do. It's okay. With the exception of a few, but for the most part, he finally has people who are accepting, yo, you got to deal with your stuff. Oscar's shoving a bar down his throat. Yeah. yeah. That scene was, that scene was very uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable. I, the, the camera angles in that scene, I did not, I think didn't help. Like, I know that it was really intense. So they're trying to get up in the action, but there were just some times where the camera pivoted to like Oscar's ass. And I'm like, do we really need to do this right now? There, honestly, now is, is a lot like, of Now spies. is not the time. But remember, Evangelion always promises more fan service. There, yeah. There were several moments in that movie where they just pan to somebody's ass. And it's like, well, Okay, you didn't then. need to do that right there. Well, see, that <laughs> those parts didn't bother me. It was more when she was shoving food down his throat. And it was done in such an uncomfortable way because obviously Shinji clearly doesn't want it. Uh, and then the camera just is right in her butt. And I'm like, now is not the time for this. It but does I'm, not fit the tone of this scene. <laughs> I'm really thinking of that moment where Toji's sister collapses onto her knees when they're... Uh, negotiating whether or not Shinji will go pilot the Ava. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I remember that like, one. Oh, well, this seems unnecessary. <laughs> Very unnecessary indeed. Yeah, but hey, they're keeping their promise. <laughs> certainly are. That's true. Yeah. But yeah, the whole process of Shinji healing, I think, is also not possible without Rei. And that's one of the things that I like about it is that instead of telling him to get over it or basically kind of handling it to leave like leaving him to handle it on his own she consistently checks in with him mm -hmm. yeah. she comes to see him all the time she brings him things she talks to him even if he doesn't respond back you know he she just keeps coming back and back you and bring back. back that that audio player <laughs> when he when she brought it back and he threw it I was so sad because she finally made a connection that this was something important to him and he rejected it or he's understandably so, but I'm like, Oh, she's just trying really hard. It's a lot of baggage with that thing. I mean, it, oh, so much. <laughs> Karu fixed it for him. It was originally his dad's. It was the only thing that survived from when Ray got absorbed into the Ava. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's a lot. <laughs> yes. It is. Yeah. So after the time of healing, we get to the point where Shinji finally decides what he needs to do. And that is to confront his father. Finally. After all these years. Punch him in the face. That's what he needs. 
He's got a very <laughs> punchable face. Let's be real here. He does. I mean, he doesn't even have yes. eyes anymore. Well, you know. Yeah, he's got a giant X on his face. <laughs> hey, if, if Rindigo got to spot. shoot Gendo this time. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Uh, well, not gonna lie, really... that scene made me laugh. Yeah, well, and it's triggered by the loss of Ray. Because there's a point where Ray realizes she can't live like a normal human being. Yeah. And when he die, she dies in front of Shinji once again, just turns into LCL. That really is a turning point for him, where he's like, "I must live. I must move forward." At the very least, for her sake, if not for the sake of everyone else that he knows, and for the sake of humanity, which is a huge burden. But yeah, her death made me cry. Oh yeah, it was it, so it hit sad. Really hard. She was just finally starting to understand. Heartbreaking. Oh, the note she left. I don't know how the dub did it, but like for the Japanese one, like it's the four words that she first learned. Oh. On the note. I believe. I believe that, that was there in the dub as well. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, good morning. Uh, oh, no, I can't remember it now. Good morning. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Good morning. Thank you. Good night. Goodbye. Yep. Those are, mm. That's that's there in the dub as well. And oh, Okay, ow. good. When Hikari reads those, I'm like, oh, no. Because they also follow, like, li- like, kind of the life cycle a little bit. Like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. oh, my goodness. It's so good. And it's so sad. And no one knows where she went, so they're looking for her. Oh, this movie gets me in my feels. Mm-hmm. So it's final battle time, and the wonder has to uh, stop uh, another impact from happening. And Shinji has gone to confront his father, and Mari is uh, fighting as well. And she has a moment with uh, Futsuki. And now we're getting to the point where Masato realizes that the only way to deal with this situation is for her to sacrifice herself. So we have that wonderful moment where she chooses to do that and get everybody else to safety. Meanwhile, Shinji is confronting his father and Asuka and Mari are fighting off (laughs) whatever he throws at them. And we finally get the climactic battle between Gendo and Shinji which starts out as a flashy battle that is portrayed as various sets, which is very toku, and you you know that uh, you, you you know that the uh, creator loves toku, so yes, you you gotta appreciate the nods to that. But the scenery just keeps changing, and the, the fight keeps going on, and Shinji realizes, wait. Physical violence isn't going to be the solution here. We actually have to have a conversation. And Gendo's like, yes, Shinji, you finally understand. (laughs) Which I'm like, yeah, whatever, Gendo. (laughs) (laughs) You finally understand that I am a jerk. I must be talked to because punching me is not going to help you. (laughs) This is all according to Keikaku. So we go back to the train. You know the train. Oh, the train. Everyone's favorite place. Everyone's the very place. symbolic train. And Shinji and Gendo come to a, a bit of an understanding. And Gendo has some actual self-reflection. And he thinks to himself, 
wow, all this time I've been trying to chase after my wife, but she was in my son this whole time, and I should have created a relationship with them instead of pushing him away. Wow. You know, it it only took you 20-something years. (laughs) Apparently good things can happen on trains. Who would have guessed? Apparently. Ah. Remember, nothing bad ever happens on trains. See? See, Exactly. So then he gets off the train, and then it's somebody else's turn. So we go through the process of Shinji having a moment with all these other characters. He has a moment with Asuka, which for a moment you think, oh, 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 we're back at the end of Ava. (laughs) But instead of choking her, they have, you know, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, (laughs) I'd say a reconciliation, really. Yeah, that's the word I would pick, too. Yeah. Closure and reconciliation. That's closure was what I was looking for. Uh, so they talk it out and she says, you know what? Back then, I think I liked you. And he says, you know what? Back then, I think I did too. And then they part ways. And then he says goodbye to Ray, who was indeed still in the Ava all of this time. And he manages to actually save her now. Well, I mean, ultimately, he he basically did save her before. He didn't. He got her out of the angel, just didn't get her out of the Ava. Yeah, and this is where he name drops the Neon Genesis. Oh my God! Yes, yes. That and it's actually was one great. of the first times it said in katakana or English instead of the Japanese title, which <laughs> I'm. Oh, I hope I get this right because I'm trying to remember. But it's uh, Shin. I think it's Shin Seiki. For neon, for neon Genesis, hmm. um, but you don't ever see it billed as Neon Genesis Evangelion in Japan. Ah, so the fact that they're saying it in the way it would be written in Katakana is pretty significant. True, true. Yeah, and uh, as he's saying goodbye to all these people, we you see him like. Uh, on sound stages and such. Again, more references to everything being a show. And, and I felt like, even though I haven't watched those episodes, winking a nod to the first ending. Probably. Uh, I, I would say there's definitely some nods to that. Uh, and then he finally says goodbye to Karu. And uh, what, what was it that he said at the end there? That next time... I'll definitely save you. Is that I, what he, he said? said that in two or three, I think. That was in yeah, two. Yeah, that was in two. I don't remember his final words, mostly because I was blown away by the reveal that he's actually Commander Kaworu Nagisa and that Kaji is his subordinate. Yeah. So I don't actually remember that his was final pretty words. pretty cool, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Then oh, after all of that, as she promised, Mari comes for Shinji, and they go off and they recreate reality to be one where there are no longer any Evangelions, with the sacrifice of Yui and Gendo to trigger the situation. 
Goodbye, all Evangelion. Yes. Which is actually the tagline that this movie was promoted with in Japan. All the trailers, the final uh, line in, in those and on promotional art was Sayonara, Subete no Evangelion. And at the first, the first time we heard that, like people were wondering, does that mean all of the Evangelions in the movie? Or this is definitively the end of Evangelion, the series? Turns out it was both. Yeah, it seems that <laughs> yeah. way. It's pretty much both. Like, I doubt that we won't see other Evangelion projects in the future. Uh, I just think this is the last one that Anno will be doing. I think yes. that's fair. I also feel like it's the conclusion to this long story that started with the show. You could do a legitimate actual reboot after this that's not connected and do something new, but this all mm. feels like it's the end of one long chain that goes all the way back to 95. Yeah, well, especially because when you get to the the final battle between Ville and Nerve, it brings in elements from End of Evangelion. You have <laughs> the Black Moon. Imaginary Evangelion. You have the Black Moon. You have Imaginary Evangelion with the Black Lilith. You know, it's it's bringing in all these things. The giant ray. Who the animation choice for that was very strange. Uh, Hyper realistic 3D animated giant ray head. Mm -hmm. But the hand so smooth no textures on it i'm like why that was pretty weird i'm not gonna <laughs> like some uncanny valley shit there yeah and like mm -hmm. really at that point I, I do think this is a part in the movie that is where it's one of the weaker points is that you kind of lose track of where you are in space and i know the point is that you're basically entering the anti-universe like it's a point where there are no boundaries but nothing is really grounded. Like, there are just constant Evangelion units falling from the sky, like, by the thousands. And it's they just seem to be appearing Hallelujah. out of... You know, they're, like, appearing out of nowhere. And then there's all the headless ray clones that are just walking in formation endlessly. You know, when they finally get to the point where Gendo is trying to initiate additional impact, it's a blank space. Like, it's... And it's so much so that they even explain... You know, ah, well, because of the nature of the area we're in, we our perceptions of reality and our memories are what take shape because we can't actually perceive the space for what it is. Which I'm like, okay, that's just weird. <laughs> that's a little too out there. Um, but it does make for the really interesting changes in scenery where you're constantly flashing from one familiar background to another. Feels a little bit like Kara is taking some uh, tips from Trigger. <laughs> it would seem that way. I mean, I, I felt that way at the end of two. Like, I, I, yes. mean, I jokingly call that the Gurren Lagan moment, but it feels like the Gurren Lagan moment. Well, I mean, those were his co-workers for over a decade. Yeah. So yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Not be surprised. Yeah. Yeah, this... This is just where it gets kind of bonkers. And actually, when you went to go see it in the theater in Japan, you received a booklet that oh. said, do not open until the end of the movie. And it, after the movie, when you opened it, it contains a glossary of terms because there are so many new things that are introduced in Thrice Upon a Time, not just tech-wise, but also concept-wise, that they had to give you a dictionary. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's extremely pretentious, but also very neat. Yeah. Yeah. That reminds and me also, of the Red Cross book also, from back uh, in the day. Right. But also helpful because, like, 
uh, up until I watched this movie for the third time. That's all Thri- you watched it to- thrice upon a time. I ah. did. I watched it thrice upon a time. Uh, that's when all the pieces really clicked. Because there's so much being thrown at you that the first time you watch it is like, oh my God, what is going on? Like trying Mm. to keep up with everything. There's so much crammed into just two and a half hours, which sounds long. But when you think about how much is stuffed, especially into that final battle, then it's like, whoa, this is a lot to process. So having seen it that many times, I'm able to go, okay, this thorough line goes here. This goes back to this point in rebuild one that I think the dictionary was necessary. <laughs> it's really helpful if you're seeing it for the first time. Not to look into that, I guess. Well, in the final scene, we have another train station moment. This time, an adult-looking Shinji is sitting, waiting for his train, you might assume. And he is greeted by... Mari, who greets him in the typical fashion of, guess who it is? <laughs> <laughs> and he gives the correct response. Kudos to Shinji. Yes, he does. And in this scene, you also see across from the train tracks, uh, Ray and Karu, and I'm pretty sure Asuka over there. I, th- I think that's all all the cameos that are so. in that scene. I, that's I don't, correct. I don't remember seeing Asuka in the background but I wouldn't be surprised if she was there. I remember her being like the far left of the screen when they're showing the like panning shot of the other side of yeah. the train station. Yeah. Yeah. That seems right. Yeah. yeah Cause it's way easier to see uh Karu and Ray. Yeah. Having a conversation on the other side of the tracks. And then Shinji and Mari go off hand in hand, walking up the steps and we pan out to a live action setting of, the city. Yes. Cue the music. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the ending is so good. It, it is um, very satisfying. It's it's, it's everything I could have wanted. Yes. There's so much optimism in the ending for this. And I feel like it really reflects Ano's perception of everything around him, of his own work, of humanity, of these characters. Like, it's pretty well documented in multiple interviews over the past 25 to 30 years that each of these characters are created with facets of himself in mind. And he puts so much of himself into these that I think it's impossible to separate Anno from these movies. And so when you get to the end, it's very cathartic. And you're like, I un- like not that you fully understand, because obviously we don't know Anno personally. But at least for me, by the time I got to the end, I'm like, I feel like Anno is a happier person in a happier place Absolutely. it's just it's seeping through that that ending you know oh it's yeah all I, I have to agree end of Ava is such an angry dreary yeah. yeah it's it's just the polar opposite of this this full of hope and resolution right uh, and and an end of Ava is the expansion on episodes 24 and 25 I believe no 25 25 and 26, and 26. It was the expansion that he wanted that he didn't have time to fully execute, which I'm like, oh, my God, (laughs) that's really bleak, you know. But, yeah, the ending is really good. Like, you can't listen to that Gendo monologue without thinking that Anno is talking about himself. Yes, this is the point where 
Ano is no longer identifying as Shinji so much as identifying as Gendo. Yes. I actually think it's Ano and Ano. I think both of them are himself in this one. Different because at the yeah, heroes dif- of himself, yes. Yeah, and different aspects of himself. Because especially in the scene where Shinji and Gendo meet face-to-face finally, and they have that moment of understanding, but, but Gendo his, puts up an AT field. And he's like, why am I afraid of Shinji? You know, am I afraid of Shinji? But Shinji's able to reach through it and connect to him anyways. So it's that, I at least for me, I kind of see that as Ano going, I don't have to look back at who I was and how that's reflected in my work and necessarily be afraid of it or tied to it anymore. And like, it's a very profound moment of healing, not just between those characters, but I think for just the perspective that Ano could be having in that moment. Yes. It's very poignant. Yeah. It's so good. It's so good. And then the Mari, I liked the conclusion with Mari at the end because it, as it gradually degrades from the full animation to the animatic, to the Genga drawing, like Mari shows up and she's like, Oh, I barely made it. <laughs> and then it goes back. So it's kind of like as the film is fading out to the bare minimum of, of production, she shows up just in the nick of time and everything comes back to normal. I thought that was kind of funny. Yeah, I do like that. In the waifu wars that have existed for 20-something years, oh my God. there have been uh, many an argument for Rey or Asuka, but you, you know what? There's... Big problems with Shinji ending up with either of them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Especially when you consider that they're clones in this one. Yeah. yeah. You know, Mari's really the only human that it would make sense for him to for Shinji pair up with at the end. If we're looking for a personal personal wife. She is, style. however, robbing the cradle, but, you know. Yeah. <laughs> She's the great disruptor. But if, if we're looking for... <laughs> My wife who out of Evangelion, it's got to be Masato. Yes, of course. Masato is best girl. <laughs> no doubt. Yeah. Said to see her go out like a boss, but hey, she went out like a boss instead of... Uh, oh, yeah. She went out the... like a boss, and I loved it. I would have been happier if she survived, but I get why she didn't. Yeah. Well, and... I think it plays back to the really the way parenthood is portrayed in this movie as protection and sacrifice. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's something you see within rebuild in particular, because I remember in the TV series that perceptions of parents and the relationships with being between parents in the TV series, none of them were positive. No, there was a lot of trauma. There was a lot of abuse. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it just wasn't, good but the really the way especially mothers are portrayed in rebuild is much warmer and kind of closer to the idealization of motherhood so even though Masato was really disconnected from her son she still gave everything to make sure that he lived a good life and was safe still a little disappointed that she felt like she couldn't be with him at all yeah like, you're being too hard on yourself, Miss Otto. Oh, come on. Yeah, but I think that's also rooted in her own attachment and 
trauma. <laughs> oh, <laughs> definitely. It, it feels you know? very consistent. It's just sad. Especially if she ever came to the realization that she was just following her father's footsteps. Like, really, yeah. you, and it's something I didn't notice until I rewatched Evangelion and the rebuilds. Even though Asuka is bitter at her father and really, uh, I can't think of the right word. Being but she doesn't, auto. yeah, well, she doesn't really view her father's actions as positive, right? Because he was so focused on his work that even though, he, like, he brought her to the, to Antarctica to combine Adam and Lilith. <laughs> when it's like, should you really bring your kid on that expedition where you could possibly cause the apocalypse? Like, that's not a great parenting choice. And clearly she was always an afterthought in their relationship. But even then, she kind of followed the same pattern. Mm. You know, and I think if she came to that realization in the gap that we didn't see, that may be why she felt she was unfit to be a parent to her son. I, I, I could get behind that. Oh. You write psychoanalyses on all these people. I actually did it once for a class. <laughs> I'm sure that you can. <laughs> uh, all right, so here's a question. What is the best ending of Evangelion? Thrice upon a time. Mm, I think it depends on what experience you want. That's very I, true. You know, That's like, fair. I love the TV series. So the ending for the TV series works for that, but I don't think you could apply the TV series ending or end of Evangelion to the rebuilds just because the way that they've differentiated themselves makes it where I don't think the endings are all that comparable because they're so different. Hmm. True. I mean, True. I'm a guy who likes end of Evangelion um, quite a bit. That's why I've never seen the TV show ending. But Price Upon a Time is just to me, the perfect encapsulation endpoint for everything for the whole giant franchise, that's what I would pick. Mm. Yes, I think as a work of art, End of Ava is a remarkable film that is so well put together that you can't help but admire the work that went into it. And this movie, I think, is a much... Uh, I think it's a much better resolution for the story because at the end of Ava, Shinji's kind of a deplorable being and you don't really want to root for him or anything. <laughs> and his final moments are choking out Asuka for whatever reason to determine if she's real or that they're survived human instrumentality or whatever reason. But what you, you got to come up with a like, there's no good reason why he's choking her. And then she pulls him out of it by, you know, gently touching his face. He's like, oh, oh, geez. Oh. <laughs> like, it's it's a very angry ending that is beautiful in its own way. But then you have this, which certainly, uh, like, you, it, it, it's a very different film because Anno is a very different person now. And yeah. I, I, I could see people discrediting it for that reason. But at the same time, it's like we should all be very happy for Anno and overall accept his new vision of Evangelion that he finally 
decided on after all these years. Because at the end of the day, it's his work. And, you know, you got to respect that much. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think, like, for me, like, uh, Thrice Upon a Time is definitely a lot more compelling to me narratively. And I think from that perspective, part of me wants to have that be my favorite ending. But there's something about End of Ava, like, cynicism and all that just, like, is still so interesting to me that, like, I kind of find it the better ending. Hmm. But at the same time, yeah, like, I think for Ava as a franchise, Thrice Upon a Time is the most fitting ending. Yeah, I would agree with that. Mm -hmm. I can absolutely see that both of those points. I think that's pretty much on the level where I'm at. I think contextually, the episode 25 and 26 ending works for the TV show, but it just just ends it. It. And, and at that point, you ask, well, what was the point in all this? If you look at it from the perspective of the point was Shinji's arc, Shinji learning to accept himself, then it's a satisfying enough ending. If you were interested in what all of the storyline was leading up to, then it probably feels pretty uh, anticlimactic, to say the least. And honestly, like I think those last two episodes are a lot better after you've seen End of Ava, in retrospect, honestly. Perhaps. Because, yeah, like, it, it's fine for what it is, and, like, it caps off the emotional aspect of Shinji's story, but the actual story of Ava doesn't really resolve at all. No. No, it doesn't. <laughs> Congratulations! And, and I will say, regarding End of Ava, it does at least make some sense that Sele would be like, you, you know what? Uh, or was it Zaylee? No, it was the the military. Once you get rid of all the angels, of course the military is going to attack Nerf. <laughs> they're they're too powerful. You got to get rid of that. So even though it feels really abrupt for them to suddenly turn on them, it it, it kind of feels like it's been boiling up to that point throughout the TV series anyway. And uh, it's just that additional dark element to that series uh, especially with the way that the the soldiers are just merciless when they go through nerve and kill anybody they come across like jeez yeah well something that didn't i didn't really think about until actually i read the evangelion anima light novels was something that i don't think is brought to the forefront until you can step outside it and look Nerve has one of the strongest weapons in the entire world in mm -hmm. Evangelion, but it's also one of the most unstable weapons because Ooh. there's so much collateral damage. The Avas can go berserk really easily. And it wasn't something that occurred to me until I was reading the books and it takes place after end of Evangelion. Cause it kind of spins off the mass production Ava things and how Misato in the anima novels is now the new head of nerve because Gendo is gone. And how she has to try to convince the world that these new this new tech that she's using that utilizes both the mass production Avas, their uh, S2 engine, as well as the original Evangelions with new modifications, that she's not going to turn on everybody because she holds the vast majority of the militaristic power in the world at that time. Like, there's really no mm. other military that can compete. 
And if you think about it, that would explain why the uh, JDSF in Evangelion just goes ham in End of Evangelion. Because if they don't attack hard, Nerve might punch back with something even more intense and even more destructive. Yeah. I mean, Nerve could very easily end the world without any provocation. <laughs> oh, absolutely. You know, and thrice they got a time, ticking time bomb down there in their basement. <laughs> right, they it's got the best basement. Right. Well, and thrice upon a time reminds us of that during the Euro Nerve sequence at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Like, look at all the models that they said they weren't going to develop, and they did anyways. Like the Evangelion units that are built with a Gatling gun, of all things. <laughs> You know, it's like Euronerve. What have you been up to? <laughs> That's probably not for heavy agents. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it has been quite a journey. I don't know if anybody has any additional thoughts. We've been talking for a while. <laughs> yeah, Evangelion, honestly, good. Evangelion, not robot. Yes. Yes. And honestly, we we barely scratched the surface with this oh. too. Like, oh yeah, you could go way deeper than this. Yeah. And way, I think, way deeper. I guess the biggest takeaway from this too is that a lot of people tend to look at Evangelion and be like, oh, it's overrated uh, or it's messy because I think they're expecting a much more linear storytelling style and they're expecting something to be, I guess, more in the vein of like Gundam or Macross where the giant weapon or the giant tool that you're using kind of becomes this part of the solution and that there's a follow through on it. But I think once you figure out that this is really more of a character based story, like, yeah, the Evangelions are important. You know, they're part of the main conflict. The angels are part of the main conflict. But when you see Anno's shift to focusing on characters and the resolution with that, I think it makes a lot more sense as a character drama instead of following through on everything especially because the story is too damn big for a 26 episode TV show. Like Anno was really ambitious with what he was setting up in the first half of the TV series that the second half, which it was influenced by like, he received a book, a psychology book from a friend halfway through production, which is why the second half of the series is the way it is. But that also follows through for the rest of Evangelion where that focus on characterization and character growth and, and healing and, and the human element is really at the forefront. So I think if people know what to expect with that going in, then maybe they might not be as put off by Evangelion in the rebuilds versus if they are expecting, you know, giant mech go punch, thing goes boom. We win. <laughs> Yay. Yay. You know? But in that respect, particularly the early episodes of Evangelion are such a good monster of the week show. Oh, yes. yeah. They're very good. And again, it's more like Ultraman than Gundam. Oh, absolutely. There's so I'm not super familiar with Ultraman, but from what I've been told, their Evangelion, especially the rebuilds, are absolutely littered with Ultraman and Space Battleship Yamato references because those are some of his uh, Hideaki Anno's like favorite franchises. Oh yeah, I noticed the Yamato reference in uh, Thrice Upon a Time. Yeah, wasn't <laughs> you... it like the final operation, like Operation Yamato? Yes. Yep. <laughs> and I loved it. I I smiled when that was when that happened. Right, and all the battleships that are accompanying the Wunder are all 
based after the style of the Yamato battleship. Like, you can't avoid it. Uh, the pilot suits are inspired by the suits worn in Yamato. So, mm. yeah. I I had a hard time wrapping my brain around the whole all the ships kind of connected by a tether moving in a fleet like what the heck is going really on with that weird. right I'm not at gonna first lie. coming back to the tokusatsu part or tokusatsu goodness tokusatsu part at the end the wires made so much more sense yeah <laughs> yeah that's you true. know at first it's weird i'm like what what are they doing and like mari swinging around on the wire being like give me more length as she's <laughs> trying to take out all these monsters yeah. um but yeah, it works out to make it feel like a set. Mm-hmm. Really neat. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of little details that you're probably not going to notice the first time you watch it or even the third time. Get so. Amazon Prime and watch it as many times as you like. Right. It's pretty appropriate that in Japan, this movie was given the initial title of Repeat. Like it just the repeat symbol in music. Because <laughs> how many times do you have to watch it before you fully grasp everything that's been crammed into it? It's an incredibly rewatchable film. No question there. I agree. Mm. All right. I think I think that'll do it. So let's do some house cleaning. You can email us at podcast at tunamifaithful.com. You can follow us on facebook.com backslash tunami faithful podcast and on Twitter at tunami podcast. You can listen to the podcast on just about everything, including iTunes, Google Music, Spotify, and Amazon. You can find every episode of the podcast to stream online at soundcloud.com backslash tunami faithful podcast. You can also find our spinoff podcast, the Fenacast on that same feed and you can get the latest news by following at tsunami news on twitter and read the news views and reviews on tsunamifaithful.com and lastly if you like our stuff and want to help us out you can get the tsunami faithful pass at patreon.com backslash tsunami faithful to help us out with uh, maintaining the website and the podcast and uh, you get exclusive stuff like looks at uh, the full interviews in CJ's recent tsunami, recent, it's been over a year now, hasn't it? Documentary, uh, What Tsunami Means to Me, where he talked to uh, many actors and some other people involved in the industry. It's uh, very interesting. And the if you liked the interviews in the documentary, you're sure to enjoy the extended interviews that he's been putting up uh, once a month on our Patreon. Okay. Laser, tell us where they can find you. Well, you can find me over on Twitter.com at LaserKidPrime. Of course, you can find my uh, Toonami Focus editorials on uh, Toonami Faithful. Uh, you can hear me occasionally on the Dumbweeds podcast and also occasionally on the Demon Slayer podcast, as well as, of course, here. All right. Celia, where can they find you? You can find me crying over not getting the ultimate edition of the Evangelion TV series from G-Kids on Twitter. Ooh. At Planets Twinkle, missed that two times. I am very Ouch. sad. Oh, it hurt each time. Uh, I'm also on Facebook at Celia Rose Cosplay. I'm also one of the hosts for a YouTube show called Pop to Culture, where uh, 
myself and my friends, Chad and Alex, we discuss different things in pop culture that we think are pretty cool. It's mostly Macross focused because that's really our biggest interest. But we also talk about things like the upcoming Cowboy Bebop live action TV series on Netflix, um, different movies that we're watching, toys, that kind of thing. Uh, also, as the director of social media, I am also on all of our social media profiles for Toonami Faithful. So anytime you tweet at us or tag us in a comment, reply to our posts, me and my team can see it. All right. And uh, VLord, where can they find you? Yeah, people can find me on Twitter at VLordGTZ. Then I write uh, various things for old-comic.com as well as uh, Toonami Faithful. So check out my writing over there. And then I also do a bunch of other podcasts. Uh, the Demon Slayer podcast on Twitter at DSlayer Podcast. The Dumb Weebs podcast, like Laser mentioned. Saturday Night Shaggy. And Oversoul Shaman King podcast. So you can check out all of those. Um, it's pretty easy to find them all. The V-Lord podcast universe. <laughs> right? Yes. <laughs> and you can find me on Twitter at Sketch1984. And also hosting our Fennecast uh, every other week. But we may have some additional episodes coming up. So it might not be every other week, at, at least in the near future. Hope you enjoy what we have cooking. So after this lengthy conversation, in which we talked a whole lot about Evangelion, but we assure you there are so, so, so many people who have talked at length about Evangelion that you should really go Watch their stuff on YouTube, in podcasts, what have you. There's there's so many opinions on Evangelion. So do that. You, you uh, it, That is if you're interested. And uh, <laughs> I don't have anything in particular of those to plug off the top of my head, but there's, there's some good ones out there. I have one, if it's okay for me to plug it. Oh, go ahead. So uh, it's the podcast is called The Speaker Podcast. And they did a very lengthy episode going over everything in the movie. Uh, it's hosted by Gwen Campbell and Adrian Lozano. And it's actually a really great listen. It's three and a half hours, but it breaks down everything in this movie. So if there's any point where you are unclear on exactly what's happening on screen, that's a great episode to listen to for like really nitty gritty details. Another great podcast to listen to about Evangelion is the Anime is Lit podcast on iTunes. They have an episode called Evangelion Mythos, which is actually an audio recording of a panel that they did at KomoriCon in 2017 that talks about the mythos around Evangelion and like trying to hmm. make sense of all the arcs within the series. They also did a collaboration with the Ono oh Anime podcast, and it's a three-part series called The Lore of Evangelion. And it spans across pretty much all the available media for Evangelion and trying to piece together the world that has been built over the past like 25 years across the TV show, comics, games, the movies. It's really fascinating. Honestly, I don't think it's a recommendation if you're not that interested in the nitty gritty. <laughs> but there's a lot of neat trivia that you find in pieces of media that aren't as readily available that is covered in that three-part series. So I definitely recommend giving those a listen. All right. Cool, Sounds that's like it. A, yep. <laughs> okay. I definitely uh, listen to those. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. Well, there you go.
it's a, it's, it's a good pick. All right. Well, thank you for listening to this special episode of the Toonami Faithful Podcast. And uh, we will resume next week with a regular episode of the Toonami Faithful Podcast. And until then, farewell to all Evangelions. We're punching out. I mustn't run away from all these awesome podcasts. Oh, this is this is nice. I, this is the end. Okay. Where exactly am I? Um, oh, gr- here's the song. Oh, good. Um, there's some things that are still unresolved here, guys. How, how do I get home? Uh, what do I eat? Was Ray my, my mom or a clone or hell? Was this all in my mind? What What's an Ava? Is that sort of a Freudian thing or... Um, am I real? Oh, hell. Does the bus run through here? I mean, I'd like to go home now, but... Um, oh, God. Where's home? Okay, okay, okay. I mustn't run away. I mustn't run... Okay, I got that. Good. Okay. Now, if I were to run away, let's analyze that. Where the fuck would I go? I'm on a big blue ball. Uh, is this how you end the series? I mean, is this where we go from here? Okay, the movie better sure as hell make up for this. I'm telling you right now, because I'm stuck in nowhere land. You ran out of ink too, didn't you, you bastards?